welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where it ain't over until the final credits roll. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. So thanks to the power of editing and scheduling episodes, uh, this episode is actually being recorded uh, the week of Christmas, you know, on the Friday after Christmas. Well, it's coming out to you the Tuesday um, of December 31st, so uh, Happy New Year's Eve, Happy New Year to everyone, Happy 2020, may your Oscar death races go well, among any other pursuits and New Year resolutions you may have. Um, I'm currently in Asia, you know, on a vacation, um, but I definitely wanted to get an episode in your feed, especially because I did the crazy task of watching four movies over three days, uh, one of which included the three-hour-long Irishman, which I watched No Breaks. Um, so, you know, these are the last four films that I that Gold Derby kind of has pegged as, uh, you know, most likely to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, so I wanted to get these out there before. Um, we're taking a break on January 7th, but when I get back, for the January 14th episode, we'll know the nominees for the Oscars by then. Um, so we'll be able to go over, you know, whether this list was accurate and the other films that, you know, I haven't watched it. I'm going to need to try to binge to catch, find some way to watch and catch up on. So um, in the meantime, uh, let's go ahead and talk about these four films. Um, I'm recording this literally like 12 hours before my flight. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit rust perhaps, uh, but we'll do our best. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. So first up, we have the big heavyweight this in this year's Oscars, The Irishman. Uh, the Irishman is a film about um, you know labor act uh, union leaders slash potentially in, probably most likely involved in organized crime figure Frank Sheeran, played by Robert De Niro. It premiered at on September twenty seventh at the New York Film Festival uh, and had a limited theatrical release November first before releasing on Netflix uh, for wide release on November twenty seventh. Um, so according to Gold Derby, this is kind of in the running for a whopping 11 different Oscars. Um, so first off, going quickly, obviously we have Best Picture, where it's the favorite to win. Uh, we have for Best Director for Martin Scorsese, also favorite to win. We have Actor, Robert De Niro, um, and then actually two supporting actor nominations, uh, one for Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa, um, and then one for Joe Pesci as Bufalino. Um, it's also the favorite for uh, Adapted Screen play um the book about frank sheeran called i heard you paint walls um also nominated for cinematography costume design the favorite for editing um also for production design and uh visual effects so again 11 uh 11 nominations which is crazy um definitely one of the big heavyweights of the season um you can i watched this film literally last night uh, in more or less one sitting um on netflix um so yeah i mean so to be honest kind of my one of my mortal sins as someone who likes movies is that i have not yet watched really any gangster movies I haven't watched the godfather I haven't watched goodfellas or any like that um and kind of along with that i actually haven't watched that many scorsese films um the only exception being i actually did watch uh silence um that jesuit film um you know a couple years ago with uh adam driver uh, and, and Andrew Garfield. Um, so, you know, I think this film is one, you know, from what I've seen in discussions online, it's really kind of um, kind of a, almost a goodbye to the genre of gangster. I mean, obviously, I feel I, I just from seeing the films that have come out, kind of the heyday of gangster films have come and gone, um, you know, uh, and this is kind of like a tribute to that. And in a sense, it's I think it's a tribute, you know, showing that, there's more to the gangsters and the glamour and the action and the you know you know whatever appeal there is there there's also the aftermath of of you know gangsters and you know the fact that these are you know you know 
frankly, in some cases, in most cases, pretty evil people who commit crimes and kill and hurt other people for for their own personal gains. And while that, you know, in some films are maybe glossed over, here this film really takes that apart at the end and says, you know, here are the consequences of what comes up afterwards. Um, so, you know, I think I came at this film without a lot of that context. And frankly, for the first bit of it, it was a little bit slow. Um, but then I think at some point when I kind of shifted into thinking about it as more of a character study of Robert De Niro's character, um, Frank Sheeran, and kind of everything that went around him, um, the more I grew to like it. And, you know, over time, there's, there's more things like, you know, there's definitely tones of, you know, um, kind of the banality of evil and, and what what happens there and, and how Frank goes about doing his work and how he just gets in deeper, but, you know, not in not because like he feels trapped in any way, just kind of what he does. In a sense, that's kind of a, a commentary on, on the sociopathy of it all. Um, there's scenes toward the end where he's, you know, so the film is kind of framed with um, an, an elderly version of Robert De Niro, um, kind of in Frank, class Frank Siren, retelling the tales of his youth, basically, and kind of like more or less a non- non-continual fashion um it's it's basically like you know a lot of flashbacks to the heyday and and explaining what happened and kind of you know there's not really any sense of reflection that he did anything wrong it's just kind of it is what it is and what he did and kind of that sociopathy and there's scenes toward the end where he doesn't really show any real regret for any anything he's done um so yeah um i mean aside that, there's just so much to talk there's this you know, obviously this being an awards based so there's you know I mean, I feel like, you know, let's just go through the categories. Best picture. Um, I think, you know, personally, I wouldn't put this as my favorite big pick. Well, from what I want to win, I wouldn't want this to be what I want to win best picture. But I could definitely see just kind of the grandiosity. Like, I mean, so let's talk about like the fact this is this is a Netflix film, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later. I was listening to the DGA, the Directors Guild of America podcast interview with um, Scorsese and kind of the amount of money that went into the DA. So the de-aging process for all of the characters here who are, you know, in their 70s or even older, um, playing these younger 30s, 20s, 40s pe- like characters, um, the de-aging process is really, really good. I mean, we, we've seen it before in Marvel films and, and you know, obviously that that had to be very expensive. And Netflix kind of footed the bill. And Scorsese, being an auteur, you know, didn't want you know executive and and studio meddling to try to try to make it more feasible. And frankly, like at a three and a half hour time run, you know, some would question that you know maybe some executives have been like, hey, let's try to make this a mini series instead or something. But you know, props to Netflix for letting you know him have his vision. Um, and really, it's, it is an epic in the sense that it kind of does follow the life of a man that you can't really condense down into a two-hour film. I think, you know, did it feel long at times? Yeah, um, just by the nature of it being a longer film. But also, you know, everything in there had to be there for that particular purpose. Nothing in there was really extraneous, right, to, t- to really tell the complete story. Um so in that sense, you know, I see how picture and, and Scorsese, all credit to him for being able to wrangle this together, you know, definitely, I think, um, is up there for, you know, up there for best director. Um, we'll see. I think it's a very competitive category this year. Um, you know, Robert De Niro, I think he did he did fine. He was, he was a great lead, I think. Um, there are other people in the category, I think, who are probably going to win. That said, you know, with two supporting actors, I'm afraid that they'll probably split the vote and neither of them will win. Um, both Al Pacino and Joe Pesci did an amazing job. Um, if I had to pick one, I really enjoyed Joe Pesci more. I, I don't know, maybe it's just the his his quiet sinisterness of, like, you know, the way that he is as a quiet, you know, mafia mob 
boss basically right um compared to you know uh, al pacino as the very loud and 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 passionate um jimmy hoffa right um and there are a lot of other smaller, you know, minor characters in here. And one thing, you know, that kind of going just to the earlier theme of like, you know, that this is about the gangsters, but the kind of the inglorious death and the end of it all is that a lot of gangsters who so for even just like one scene will say, oh, yeah, you know, this person died by bullet fire. Right. Even if it's juxtaposed against a scene where they're laughing and happy. Right. So um, you kind of it has, uh, going along with that, um, you know, I mean, the other categories, uh I think this film really did a lot of things great. I don't know if it did the, the best of any other category that I've seen of any of other compared to other films I've seen in, in specific categories. But maybe that's why it's best picture. Maybe it just has the all around package that this comes together, right? Um, you know, adapted screenplay probably in contention for that for sure. I think. Um, and then the visual effects. I wouldn't be surprised just because of the de aging thing. Though I think there are other films that probably will be out special effects um, i think the other one thing that to really know i think one thing i really enjoyed was kind of that sub thread of peggy um you know robert de niro frank siren's uh daughter that that character and her story throughout the throughout the film i think that was like one interesting thread to follow along on some favorite scenes of mine that i think that stood out you know definitely i think and this will probably be most people's favorite scene that testimonial dinner that you know where, where they're all congratulating um Robert De Niro characters Frank on on what he's done for you know the community the union and and so on in Philadelphia. Um, there were just so many things going on there. The scene with him and and Al Pacino, with him and Joe Pesci. The scene with Joe Pesci and Al Pacino come together for really the only time in the film where they're really interacting face to face. Just all of those things together. I think that if there's any scene that gets it, I think that would get it. And probably, I mean, you know. You know, um, I guess spoilers a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, it's based on a it's based on an adaptation of a book where Joe, where Frank Sierra says that he's the one who killed Jimmy Hoffa. So, kind of in going along with the themes of kind of within the larger narrative context of um, just what you expect um, Robert De Niro characters to to be like. You know, with the rapport he's built up with Al Pacino's character, and then when he finally does kill him in the end, kind of how quick it is. I think that kind of goes along with the themes in general as well. And that last half 20 hour, I thought, you know, after that, oh, maybe the movie's over at this point. There's a whole other half hour, again, just showing of how all of these mafia mob men kind of just degrade and grow old and die and time takes them all and no one remembers them, right? Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, The Irishman, what a film, you know. I don't know if I can watch it more than once just because of how long it is. You know, definitely scenes I think will probably be worth revisiting again in the future. And, I know this definitely makes me want to go back and watch some more some more old gangster films. So again, maybe whatever I make another podcast, maybe I'll do some more gangster movies. So that is the Irishman. Next up, we have Little Woman. Uh, so Little Woman uh, is the eighth adaptation of the of the book by Louisa May Alcott. Uh, this time directed by uh, you know director uh, Greta Gerwig, um, and. Uh, it premiered at the Museum of Modern Arts here in New York on December 7th, with its wide theatrical release on December 25th. Um, I actually saw this on Christmas, so on release day um, uh, in the AMC Theater in Times Square. Um, it is currently up, and I would say this is probably, you know, alongside uh, Mirrored Story and Irisman and probably 1917 at this point, um, one of the frontrunners for, you know, the heavyweights of this season. Um, so it's up for eight Oscars, uh, according to goldory.com. So Best Picture, um, Best Director, again, Greta Gerwig, um, Best Actress, Sarah Sar- Sar- Reese, uh, 
Ronan, uh, sorry for mispronouncing that name if I did, um, who plays Joe Marsh. Um, supporting actress, Florin Pugh, who plays um, uh, Amy, Amy Marsh. Um, adapted screenplay, obviously, of the book. Um, costume design, production design, and score. Um, so that's eight nominations. So the thing about the film, you know, again, similar to The Irishman, I mean, obviously, I guess there's been a long tradition of adapting Little Woman, but I can't really, like, I could probably imagine how other films might have done it, but I really like the way that Greta Gerwig did. And, you know, kind of similar to The Irishman, it kind of started off a little bit slow for me, um, but over time I got, I found myself getting really engrossed in the film. It's a period piece, obviously, and... Yeah, I never seen any of the prior adaptations, but I, from what I've read, I think Greta apparently did some amazing things with, kind of you know narratively, using a non-linear storytelling fashion. So kind of again, I'll reference this again. The DGA podcast, he kind of mentioned that there's kind of almost three timelines in the film, right? There's the past, present, and fiction. Um, so you know, if you know anything about the Little Woman, you know that it's Louisa May Alcott's book, who's which is semi-autobiographical about her experiences growing up with her sisters in post. In, in during the Civil War slash post-Civil War period. Um, in the book, you know, it kind of, again, follows a pretty linear story of, you know, from childhood into adulthood and what happens there. But what, what Greta did was she basically, she also wrote the screenplay, um, so props to her for that, um, is taking the the two, the, begin, the the childhood portion, the adult portion, and then layering them, interweaving them in a non-linear fashion, going back and forth between the two, showing parallels between how what happened in the past, you know, applies to the applies to the um, future and how it influence and how it informs that, right? Um, you know, I mean, all of the, I think that did, there was some particular story beats which. I don't know if I want to do spoilers again. I mean, I did a little bit for the Irishman, but again, it's also like a book that's been out for literally hundreds of years at this point. Um, but I mean, you know, see, you know, kind of there's a death that happens. There's a sickness that happens in one Christmas, two Christmases, one in adulthood, one childhood. And in, you know, the childhood, the character lives, but in the adulthood, she dies, um, you know, visiting the beats back and forth, kind of contrasting the two. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, Greta Gerwig and 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 Sarius, when when they play, um, when they work together, are just a magical pair together. I saw, I saw them a couple of years ago for Lady Bird, which I believe was was Greta's um, uh, directorial debut, and, and and that was an amazing film. And I think just the chemistry continued on here, and just adding on more amazing actresses. Um, Emma Watson playing, you know, Meg Marsh. Um, uh, you know, kind of. So, I mean, who didn't have a crush on her? I only a little bit um, growing up, but you know. And then Timothy Chalamet, which I have to say, plays the perfect, you know, eighteen hundreds f boy, basically. Um, so, you know, that was that was quite amusing. I think, you know, I also like that in the they kind of allude to this, where in the book, apparently, you know, Joe March's character is kind of forced to, not forced, but he accepts marriage, basically, whereas apparently, historically, Louisa May, Al- Louisa May Alcott, who's based Joe on herself, never did actually marry, but um, felt she had to have her get married to make the book sell. And kind of, instead of, you know, again, past, present, future, it's actually past, present, fiction. They kind of alluded to that where, in one timeline, Joe March does get married, but 
you could also interpret that she doesn't. And I think that makes the character that much stronger for it um, and, and more narratively consistent. Um, I've heard, and again, I haven't seen the other adaptations, that you know, the character of Meg Martz and Amy Martz are really expanded upon in this adaptation. Um, again, to the, thanks to the acting of, of Emma Watson and Florence Pugh. So, um, and just the writing as well, showing more depth to their characters. So, you know... Thinking about, I really, really like the way that this was adapted. I, I would, I would actually like this one to really be the one to take, um, adapted screenplay. Um, really, yeah. I mean, looking at the other ones in the category, this probably would be my favorite. You know, um, to to hopefully win it. Um, Beautiful day in the neighborhood. I, I, I did a couple mentioned a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I definitely want that to be nominated. Joker as well. But yeah, I think this one would be my my choice if I had a vote. Um, for that as well um you know and and, and the the costume production time i mean it's a period piece i feel like those kind of a bit of an advantage there so i didn't i not as familiar with those categories and what and thinking about what really think about who would win what there um but yeah i think it's just i surprisingly it hit me pretty hard actually you know there's a lot of things about um finding acceptance in yourself and and just themes of accepting yourself and 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 finding where your place in life is and what you want to be and being, you know, not just good, but great, great or nothing. Right. Um, I think that's definitely a lot of the themes I think in this theme really resonate with me and kind of, you know, if you're not someone who's, who's prone to be watching, you know, all female cats, which you really should watch films that are that, you know, as a, as a guy, I think I definitely appreciated having that perspective and having kind of this, you know, I wasn't expecting to like this film, but in the end, I really, really did. So um, props to you, Little Woman. Props to you, Greta. Props to you, to everyone involved here. Next up, talking about another uh, all mostly female-led cast, uh, we're talking about Bombshell. So Bombshell had a limited release December 13th with a wide release on December 20th. Um, it is currently in the running for four um, uh uh, Oscars, uh, Best Picture, probably one of the ones toward the bottom of the list. Uh, Best Actress for Charlie's Throne, playing Megan Kelly. Um, supporting Actress Margot Robbie, uh, who's playing Kayla, uh, and uh, for Hair and Makeup, where it's actually the favorite to win that category. Uh, it tells the story of the scandals the, um, and the and the fallout from um, the sexual harassment um, charges, you know, filed against Robert Ailes and, and Fox News. Um, I saw this on Christmas Eve at the Kips Bay AMC Theater. So thinking about this film and, you know, comparing it to the others in this episode, definitely, I think it's, it's definitely not one of the strongest films. I think all of the film, um, I think this one definitely, the acting, I think, was definitely the strongest point of this film. Um, Charlie Theron as, um, as Megan Kelly, um, you know, definitely brought a lot to the role. I think Margot Robbie especially had had a phenomenal job. She kind of plays an amalgam of multiple victims of, of sexual harassment at Fox News. Um, and, and, and there are two scenes in particular here that really stood out to me. One, kind of the actual harassment scene with Roger Ailes, and then the other where she admits to, where she confesses to her friend, um, you know, played by Nicole Kidman, Nicole Hitman, I think. Um, no, not Nicole Hitman. Um, what's your name? Um, the one from Saturday Night Live. Sorry, fuck. Uh, can't remember. But um, when she confesses to her friend, you know, what had happened, you know, that really, those two scenes really, you know, Margot Robbie's definitely been on the come up, you know, hashtag, you know, uh, Birds of Prey with, uh, with Harley Quinn next year. Looking forward to that one. Um, but just in general, I think, um, the acting was good, I think, and then definitely the hair and makeup. So 
I'm not a big Fox News watcher, um, so I'm obviously not that super familiar with a lot of the characters. But looking it up afterwards and looking at how good and how similar they actually look using hair and makeup to to get them to look like the characters, that was phenomenal. Um, so definitely, I can see why it's the category for in the category for hair and makeup uh, and and the leader there. Um, as far as you know, just the rest of the film, I mean, I think that. And this is probably a common critique, but I think that it definitely focused a lot on on Roger Ailes. It kind of it, it swept under the um, the rug a lot of other harassment going on Fox News, specifically with Bill O'Reilly. Um, I think specifically with with Char- with with Megyn Kelly's character, um, and and I think this is also and, and to a degree Gretchen uh, Carlson, uh, played by Nicole Kidman. She's the one who, Nicole Kidman played Gretchen Carlson, um, who's under an NDA, so she couldn't really talk a lot about what happened. Um, but you know. I think the writing on those characters probably wasn't as strong as some other films we've seen, um, especially with Megyn Kelly's character where kind of, you know, I mean, yes, he was definitely a victim in 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 what happened at Fox News, but also, you know, there were a lot of things that he said were kind of problematic there. And, and in a sense, they kind of whitewashed a lot of what happened and what happened at Fox News, really, the, really making it that, most of the hate was directed toward one person or, or, or a very small group of people as opposed to, you know, the systematic um, organizational-wide issues um, going on, right? So, you know, in some senses that she was complicit in some of the bad things that happened, but again, also she's a victim for, in this specific, you know, instance in this scenario. So um, I think the film kind of whitewashed over that, which is understandable. Like if it's your protagonist, you kind of have to, paint them in like a little bit of a better light but it would have been a really super interesting film to really tackle some of those 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 conflict more conflicting emotions i think you know, the, the screenwriting and, and and such could have done i think been a little bit stronger there but given what she had i think charlie's done an amazing job with this um so yeah, this is definitely on the strength of the acting come it has it has it has appeal for its strength of its acting and of its um and then the hair and makeup. So um, that's Bombshell. Finally, we have 1917. So 1917 is a World War One film uh, by Sam Mendes, uh, released uh, in limited release, actually, on Christmas Day, uh, December 25th this year. Um, it's going to be having its wide release on January 10th. Um, it's currently in the running for nine Oscars, um, including uh, Best Picture, Best Director for Sam Mendes, Best Cinematography for the legendary uh, Roger Deakins, uh, Best Editing, Best Production Design, Best Score, where it's the favorite to win. Oh, it's also a favorite win for Cinematography. Um, best Favorite for Sound Editing and Favorite for Sound Mixing, which are basically the same thing in many people's size, unfortunately. And also Best for uh, Visual Effects. Um, I saw this uh, yesterday, um, December 26th, at the Lincoln Center here in New York, the only theater I think that's showing it. Um, uh, Afterwards, I immediately went to go watch The Irishman afterwards, so it's been a crazy couple of days, movie-wise. So yeah, so a couple things here. One, I'm really glad, I think I mentioned, was it last week, Um, that I had watched the World War I documentary by Peter Jackson, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. Um, I think that really that really acted as a good primer and as a good um, appetizer almost for this film um, because it dealt a lot in the same space of a British soldier on the front line of, you know, World War One in the trenches against the Germans, right? And what life like that was like. And seeing a lot of just similarities between the two definitely shows that, you know, this was a pretty legit film, I think, in terms of just 
of how it went about creating things. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, it kind of, if you haven't heard, kind of the gimmick, so to speak, is that this film is shot as if to be a single take. Um, so obviously, so it's actually not a single take. Um, if you've heard about the behind the scenes stuff, but um, yeah, that'd be an insane, you know, two hours straight of just filming, you know, and make one mistake, you have to go back. That'd be nuts. But um, there are, you know, places where you can kind of guess, oh, those probably are cut here or something. But for the most part, if you kind of suspend that disbelief of the actual production process, which I tend to not sometimes, but if you can, um, it is just stunning how it looks to be following one or these the, the two characters from the start of the film through to the end. Um, this does a couple things, I think. One, you know, a lot of movies were used to time jumps, right? Between um, action, you know, uh, Fast and the Furious. It's like, oh, it takes place over a couple of days, but somewhere we condense it to two hours. This is like, uh, they, every, and then not only through time, but also space, you're moving with the characters and you're living every moment with them and makes it, you feel that much more immersed in them. Um so if they have to travel nine miles, you definitely feel as if you spent you know that time traveling nine miles. Now there are a couple of tricks because it takes over place over you know roughly I would say twelve hours or so. So you know there are a couple time jumps um, with 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 good reason. You'll if you watch the movie, you'll understand how and why that happens. Um, it's just really one jump basically, one or two um, you know time jumps basically. But um, that said. You know, and also just hearing about the behind-the-scenes stuff where they would have to disassemble scenes behind the camera to help the tracking camera move along with the characters. Um, it almost feels, in a sense, like a video game, but not quite, right? Like So in the video game, you're following a character and you move through space with them. You live the experience with them. Obviously, in the video game, you have direct control over the character, whereas in the movie, you don't. You kind of are just along for the ride, Um but it, again, it kind of makes that lived experience of the films and you really experience what the characters are experiencing. Um, in a sense, I would say if, um, you know, I think the strength here definitely is in the technical elements of it. You know, the writing, you know, as you know, as far as plots go, it's a pretty simple plot. You know, characters and, and motivation rise for the actors. Characters have to get from, you know, one point in the trenches to behind enemy lines to warn another platoon division a battalion that they are walking into a trap and the brother of one of the characters is in there. So there's a lot of bit of added urgency. Um, so just moving through that, I think um, that's a pretty simple task. I think but then this, the execution of getting through it. So that's why you notice a lot of the, the categories it's in are cinematography, editing, production design, score, sound editing, sound mixing. Like, okay, one, the score and the music, you know, how it adds to it and when it cuts off music and when it uses different music to build tension, you know, as they move through no man's land um, is super great. Um, you know, obviously cinematography, I really think this is probably probably going to win it just because Robert Deakins is a god of cinematography. Um but yeah, I mean, frankly, there's not a ton of writing in here, right? Like a lot of the dialogue is very rather quiet. There are a couple of character moments here and there where you kind of get to know the characters a little bit and their motivations and mindset and what makes them differ from each other. Um, you know, I think one thing that's actually really interesting is that until probably the last third of the movie or so, um, maybe halfway through, um, but there really isn't any on-scene violence, on-screen violence, you know, for a war movie between, um, between 
the, the Germans, the enemies, and the um, and our main characters who are British, um, a lot of the action or the threat is kind of off screen. You kind of like you're, you you know, you're sent, if the camera is centered on the characters, you don't see what's beyond them. You kind of they, you you can they, you can see they're looking at something off screen, but you don't see what's there, and you don't see the enemy. I forget which movie it was. That was another war movie I saw in a couple in in recent years where the German threat wasn't really visible at all. Oh, it was Dunkirk, right? So I guess, you know, it's, it's a similar thing, right? The threat is not on screen and you're not facing down this, you know, this this huge battalion who's staring down at you, right? And about to charge into you, right? It's just, there's this ever threat in the peripheral of your vision off screen. And I think that was, a, that told a lot about, I think, you know, and the the other part is this kind of happens toward you know, um, nineteen seventeen, right? Not at not at the beginning of the war. So there's already been a lot of fighting, and it's a very gruesome film in that there are a lot of dead bodies pretty much everywhere, right? A lot of the 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 damage has already been done. There's a lot of commentary some by some characters that like you know what are we fighting for? It's just like some grassland basically. Like what what are we really fighting for? Um, in that sense, like an anti-war war movie, which I think in for a lot of war movies they kind of are anti-war war movies. Um, but this definitely is falls within that camp. So, um, yeah, I mean, not too much more to say for that. I definitely would say if you have a chance to watch this on the biggest screen you possibly can, and as well as the um, best sound system you can, so probably an IMAX or maybe a Dolby Cinema, definitely try to see the watch it. I believe it's coming out January twenty fourth on IMAX, so maybe wait till until then if you can uh, to watch that. But yeah, that's nineteen seventeen. Um, a movie I actually might consider watching twice in the craziness of the Oscar death race. So to wrap it up, uh, you know, normally I would talk about a film that I um, have been watching that's not probably in contention for Oscars, but frankly speaking, I haven't really had a lot of time uh, to watch films um, outside of uh, the Oscar stuff, especially since it's only been four days since I last recorded an episode um, and these past uh, three or four day, three days have been basically um, nonstop movies that are Oscar related. So I'll actually refer. I referred to it a little bit earlier in this episode, but you know, the Directors Guild of America or DGA has a podcast called the DGA Podcast. Um, they're also known as the Directors Cut, um, and it's a really great, I think, for any film buff to really go and and learn more about from the the author, the auteur, the creator, the mastermind behind these films, which again, film isn't just one man person, you know, in their vision, it's everyone. But it's again, it's the director's job to kind of have that vision and and, and help things get get moving and, and find and with the final product on screen, what their intent was behind a lot of the things. And I've alluded to some of the things that they've mentioned here in, in this podcast. So, you know, on the way to and from the theater or while I'm, you know, working from home, I have, you know, my headphones plugged in. I'm definitely listening to, you know, the episode, you know, I just listened, you know, before recording this podcast to, you know, Spike Lee um, interview Martin Scorsese about, you know, the, about what it's like working with Robert De Niro and, and, and how the Irishman came about and what it means to him basically. Right. Um, you know, I listened to Sam Mendes talk about 1917, and not just for these Oscar films, but you know, they also have um, you know the Big Avengers and and Jurassic World when that came out, and 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 you know, they have just it's a, it's definitely a wealth for any film buff to go and give it a listen. There are about half hour episodes or so. You'll usually record it after a screening of the director's film at a DJ theater, either 
here in New York or somewhere in LA. Um, so just give that a listen. Um, other than that, you know, I also realized I am currently at, so I forgot I had three movies for the year. So I'm currently at 84 movies for the year, which is kind of nuts. Um, I think my all-time record is 90. So I think with this flight I have, that's going to be 24 hours. I definitely have a chance to um, try and, and get to, I don't know if I'll get to 100, but definitely I'll get to 90, I think. Um, so, you know, some films I kind of have downloaded for the flight that I'm planning on watching. So The Irishman has a, apparently a 23-minute uh, kind of mini documentary behind the scenes called Irishman Conversation. If you, It's on Netflix, so watch it. You can watch it after the movie. Um, and then I have The Two Popes. Uh, I have, which is potentially going to be maybe best picture nominated. If not, I think it's in the running for adapted screenplay and for, I think, supporting actor, I think. So that might be one to check out. Um, I Lost My Body, which is the animated film I talked about last year. Dolomite is My Name, which is Eddie Murphy's uh, film. Um, I think there was some, he, he, there was in some contention considerations for some, some films. And uh, again, another Netflix film. Um, and also um, just, you know, outside, I guess, of, uh, Outside of uh, Oscar stuff, you know, there's definitely some anime stuff I have in mind. Um, again, I mentioned last week I'm super big fan of Weathering with of, of Makoto Shinkai and looking forward to watching Weathering with you. So that made me decide to go back and download, you know, The Garden of Words, um, which is one of his films, which you can find on Netflix. Um, I also have the VRV app, um, which has Crunchyroll. Um, so I got Voices of a Distant Star, Five Centimeters Per Second, and The Places Promised in Our Early Days, some of his early work. Um, and then aside from that, I mean, you know, got some anime uh, on my on my thing to watch, and also on Amazon Prime Video, I downloaded. You know, this is a bit of an older film, of 2014, so five years. Uh, John Favreau's Seth Seth film um, called Seth, because you know I've been cooking cooking bins this uh, past couple of months, so. Uh, apparently that's a really good cooking film um there's also an anime movie i downloaded called flavors of youth um that's also another cooking anime so uh movie so yeah anyway uh with that uh that has been the oscars death face podcast again uh, happy new year's happy new year if you're listening after january 1st um you know may your movie watching this year be great uh, may we all get through our death race um and yeah um you know if you like our podcast check us out on spotify on itunes on google play leave a review uh, if you want um and then you know uh the next episode you hear should be on january 14th where we'll go over the nominees uh for the oscars um as always our intro and outro music is by kevin macleod you can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io um, and with that, this has been the Oscars Death Race Podcast. Um, keep watching for those little little gold men. And remember, it ain't over till the final credits roll. Uh, have a happy, happy new year. Uh, and uh, catch you in 2020. See you guys. Bye.